So for me, it's been one of those overload weeks, but overload with, uh, overloaded with good things and with God things and with the presence of the Lord and the power of God. So it's been, it's been exciting. Uh, before I even get into to some of those things, I want to thank God for, uh, for Miss Mary, our worship leader, and, uh, and the worship team. Amen. You know, she sometimes gets mad at me because I share all of our business, but, you know, before service this morning, she came upstairs and she was just in tears and just weak and, and feeling, feeling overwhelmed and she was telling me and I didn't have the words for her, I just held her and she cried. And then to come down, to come down and to worship and to watch her just give everything she has to the Lord. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the definition of a leader. That's the definition of a worshiper of God. That's the definition of, of what I want to be as a man of God and what we should be striving for as men and women of God is to know, we sang the song, I may be weak. Uh, uh, and we said, my flesh may fail, but my God, he never will. Right? And, I, and that's not just a song she, she sings, that's a life that she lives. I want to encourage you guys uh, that church, church sometimes, you'll, you'll see as I minister today, I just feel it's confirmation from God. Church, sometimes we have to have our eyes focused in the right place and our ears open to the right voice. And sometimes what we're looking for isn't necessarily found in the places we think we should be looking. I want to encourage you guys this morning. This last week, this last weekend, uh, Nicholas being here with us on Wednesday night, ministering to our young people, ministering to the church, had an opportunity to spend great time with him and, and take him around a little bit, spend a few days with him. It was really refreshing for me and encouraging, challenging for me as well, as it always is when you get around men and women of God who are filled with the Spirit. Uh, then watching our kids on, on Friday night, we're talking amongst uh, all the parents and Miss Vanessa, and we're looking at how to get them there and how to make sure that everybody comes home in one piece and the volunteers and, and all that stuff. And we didn't get to be there with our, ki our kids. I'll share why in a minute. But uh, for them to be able to go and to have fun like that and to be around other young people uh, uh, from the church, I just thought it was a blessing. You know, Vanessa's planned well for the year and, and the things that they're going to be doing. So to see that go off and, and to go well. And then Saturday night, like, like Gary mentioned, the couples got together and it wasn't church. It was the church being out together, laughing, talking trash, eating food, taking people's food. It was just, it was just great. And I turned into a different person when I got on the go-karts. I want you all to know uh, it might sound a little prideful, but I won and I'm the best driver. I drove people off the road. I hurt people. I ran into people and I didn't even care. It was a lot of fun. Um, but as this week kind of unfolded, like I said, just being in the presence of God and, and being with the people of God and not just being a Sunday thing and a Wednesday thing, but being an everyday thing, uh, I, just, I felt God a lot this week, felt God speaking to me. And sometimes we can be overloaded. Sometimes it can be just too much, uh, it may feel. So this morning, I, I feel like whatever it is that God's been putting in me, I want to just lay that on you guys and... and uh, and hopefully it, it comes across and ministers to you for our series. We're in the second week of our series that we started last week on stereotypes. Say stereotype. stereotype. So here's the definition from, from last week. A stereotype is a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing, right? So it's widely held. A lot of people feel this way. And it's oversimplified, though. You, you take somebody's whole life and you put it into one word or into one sentence and you stereotype them. The second definition that we really focused a lot on was um, 
a relief printing plate cast in a mold that's made from the original plate. So we said that a, a stereotype, when many of us don't think about it this way, we talked about last week uh, like a printing plate for money. What it says a stereotype is, is they make a cast from the original so that you can always have the same thing that you had at first. And we said that Christians should be stereotypical. We should look like the Christians before us, who look like the Christians before them, who look like the Christ who we all follow. So stereotype is not a bad word. It's the negative connotation that comes along with it. It's the way we think about being stereotyped. It's the way we've been stereotyped, and it's the way that we often stereotype others. That's the problem. We don't get to change the definition of words. We have to reclaim what God says about these terms. So we talked about connotation as well last week. Connotation is the emotions that are invoked when you hear a certain word, when you hear about a certain person, whatever comes along, whatever begins to stir up inside of your heart and of your mind, whatever comes out of your mouth, those are negative connotations typically associated with these words. And the word that we used last week in the definition was discipline. When we hear discipline, we think of punishment and, uh, and, and judgment. But God says that discipline is the beginning of everything. You become a disciple of Christ, right? You begin to go in a certain direction, and you're disciplined to that direction, and you're not uh, swayed to the right or to the left. So it's a good word, but we have negative connotations with it, right? If you ask somebody, what, what happened? They say, oh, I was disciplined. Uh, immediately, you think negative. You think bad. You think hurtful. And God says it's the direct opposite. So we looked at the word Christian last week. And we talked about how Christians are stereotyped. We talked about the negative connotations that come along with being a Christian or being called a Christian. And we had three uh, main points. We talked about, number one, Christians gather and they wait. That's stereotypical of us. We should be gathering together and we should be waiting upon the Lord and waiting for the Spirit of God. We talked about Christians expecting the unexpected. That should be stereotypical of us. We shouldn't just be status quo. It shouldn't be the same old, same old. You should expect the unexpected. When you showed up to church today, you shouldn't be expecting what happened last week. You should be expecting something new to happen today. Amen. We should expect the unexpected if you're a Christian. That should be stereotypical. But isn't it funny how most Christians who live that way, they're seen as special or super spiritual or, or different from the rest of us. No, that should be the stereotype. Expecting the unexpected. Think about the disciples who walked with Christ. You think they woke up every day saying, ah, it's going to be another day with Jesus? Or you think they woke up saying, what might happen today? We should be expecting the unexpected. And then the last one we talked about was harvesting fruit should be stereotypical for Christians. We should be the people of God who are blessed by God, who have planted seeds, who have watered those things, watched them grow, and now we harvest fruit season after season after season. When we talk to Christians, of course, we have ups and downs. We have difficult situations that come against us and come into our lives, but that should not be the standard. The standard should be when people ask us, what is going on in your life? How is God moving? What's going on in your family? We should be telling them about the fruit that we're harvesting. And every now and then we should say, hey, I'm in the middle of a trial. I'm in the middle of some difficulty. I've, I've had some challenges lately. But nine out of ten times it should be, let me tell you about the fruit we're harvesting right now. The things we planted last, uh, last summer, look at what's happening now. The things we planted five years ago, look at what's happening now. That should be stereotypical of Christians, but is it? Is that how you speak? Is that what's going on in your life? And think about this. Is that what you hear from other Christians? Or are Christians complainers? Are Christians weak? Are Christians victims? Are Christians the, the, the bottom rather than the top? And then we wonder about these stereotypes, right? 
So the reason that Mary and I couldn't make it on Friday night to, uh, to hang with the kids and, and be there at Sky Zone when they were out, I had a friend of mine, I, I began to tell some of you about this, I had a friend of mine uh, that I went to college with, um, he called me in March and asked me if I would dedicate uh, the third of their, of their three children, little baby girl named Kai, and uh, we went to college together. We were not saved. We were not serving God. Uh, there wasn't any spirituality involved in, in our relationship. We were just young and, and ignorant, right? So for him to call me, we've stayed in touch. We've been in good communication. We're still close friends, and our families are, are close as those things have happened to us. But he called me in March and asked me if I would dedicate his daughter, and it, and it caught me off guard because I was at a meeting with some of the leaders from our church, and he, he was raised Catholic, got married in a Catholic church. For, so for him to call me and say, would you dedicate my daughter, I saw that there was some kind of switch going on. This wasn't a Catholic baptism. This wasn't, you know, some big celebration. He said, would you come to my house? We're going to have friends. We're going to have family. It's going to be in June. We want you to come and, and dedicate our daughter. So I saw something was different there. In 2007, I got saved in 2004, Mary and I started a home Bible study, 2007, and we told our, our pastors, we don't want any church folks there, you know, stereotypical Christians, we don't want none of them there. What we want is old friends and old family members that don't know God, that don't go to church, and we want to share with them the things about God that we've begun to learn about God. And this particular friend of mine, he was not married at the time, no family, no kids, none of that. But it was strange. He would come all the way out from L.A., from Pasadena at the time, drive all the way to Chino to sit in our living room with Mary and I and about 10, 15 other people and hear me talk about, about God, right? So to fast forward a decade, say 10 years. 10 years. Fast forward from 2017, or excuse me, 2007 to 2017, and now all of a sudden he's calling me and asking me if I would come to his home and speak over him and over his family and over his daughter for the things of God to be blessed into their life. I call that harvesting fruit. Amen. That's harvesting. That should be stereotypical of Christians. What will you be harvesting 10 years from now? What are you planting now? What are you watering now that is going to bear fruit later on in your life? There was about 30 people in their living room from all ages. There, there was their kids and a couple other kids. There were our peers, people that are about our age. And then he had other family, aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents, all in this house. And I told Mary on the way there, you know, I'm not sure who's going to be there. I don't know if it's just going to be the five of them, if there's going to be a bunch of people, but I just feel like we should pray. So we began to pray in the car ride all the way over there. We prayed in the spirit. We had worship music going on. We were singing. We were praying. Then we got there. We were about half an hour early. I said, I don't want to go over there yet. Let's go into a parking lot. We went in a parking lot, and we just began to pray and pray and pray. And then we went over to their house and uh, sat them all down in, in the living room, right? Everybody's sitting there. I, I got a chair, and I'm sitting in the front, and, and I told them right off the bat, you know, this isn't going to be some sprinkling of some water on this kid today. Uh, I've got something that I feel like God wants me to share with you guys, and I'm going to share it. You know, and I'm telling everybody, all these people I don't know, you know, and we only know a handful of them, but I'm telling them, look, get comfortable. Because you know how it is. Everybody's at the house. They're kind of, you know, they got their food, and they got these other things going on. I, I shut all that down and said, hey, just get comfortable because we've got some things that God wants to share with you guys. And began to minister to them, began to tell them what I believe was happening that day, what was happening with this family, what was happening over this child, and what everybody was accountable for. We got up there, there was godparents and all this stuff, and I preached to them about what they were accountable for with this child, so on and so forth, right? There's a scripture that says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
you know, there were seeds that I know, I believe with all my heart that I planted in their lives. But I also believe that in the last 10 years, they've had other influences, other people who have led them or ministered to them or, or imparted something into them and literally have watered things in their, in their life. But to be there on Friday night and to feel like we were, we were harvesting some of those things, but you could see God causing the increase. I don't know if this ever happened to you before, but when you talk about God to somebody and you see them actually receiving it, it's a wonderful experience. You can watch God causing the increase in that person's life. What I want to talk to you guys about this morning when it comes to our stereotypes, I want to talk about leadership. Say leadership. leadership. In this church, we have a lot of people uh, doing a lot of things. We have a lot of people planting. We have a lot of people watering. We have a lot of people leading uh, ministries in this church. And, uh, and I think it's important. I think it's going to give us a good platform for what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm going to ask a few people uh, to stand up if they're here in the sanctuary this morning. Some of them may not be. But uh, Raymond, would you stand up? See, you got a baby back there. Sarah, you're next on the list, so even though he passed the baby to you, pass her, pass her on. <laughs> Julia, would you stand? All the babies. There's something about leadership and babies. <laughs> Gary, would you stand? Mary? Sarah Tilcock? Vanessa? Veronica? Is she in the sanctuary? Is she in class today? She's in class. Serving. Junior, would you stand? Carmelo, Jen, she's in class too, isn't it funny? A couple of leaders serving. Um, Alicia, she here this morning? Miss Peaches, would you stand? And Isaiah, would you stand? So as you look around at this group of people, everyone standing right now, those that I mentioned that are not in the room, they lead specific ministries in this church, and, and I thought about it. Uh, how many of us, some of us know them, know them well, some of us don't know them very well, but I would assume that there's a lot of us that don't even know what these people do in this church. Definitely don't know the details of it, but couldn't put a title to the ministries that they have, but they're significant and they're important. And as leaders, that means that we are following them in, in many ways. Question I have for, for the congregation this morning, and even for those of you who are leaders and standing is, what are the emotions and thoughts going through our hearts and our minds right now as you look around at them, as you see them stand, as you hear me talk about them. Are we thankful? Are we honoring? Are we respectful? Are we grateful? Are we encouraged? Right? What are the connotations that go along with me calling somebody a leader and having them stand up right now? Are there negative thoughts going through some hearts? Negative emotions going through some minds? this morning. What I want to do is I want to come against the enemy's lies and his stereotypes and I want to reclaim what God has given us when it comes to leadership in our lives, in this church, and moving forward from here. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand and we're going to pray. Lord, this morning we come to you and we ask that you as our head, you as our leader, Lord, that you would lead us 
into life, that you'd lead us into hope, into destiny, Father God. We come against the enemy who would lie to us about leadership. It's a gift from you. It's an honor to be used by you, Lord God. It's not a position that we take of ourselves, Lord God. Every authority and every leader has been placed by you and for your people, Father God. Help us to see it the way that you see it. Help us to receive it the way that you placed it into our hands and into our lives, Lord God, that we wouldn't forfeit the blessings that you've ordained for us, but we would claim them this morning, Lord God. We come against the stereotypes that we have created, Lord, that we have perpetuated, Lord God. We come against those who have created stereotypes and forced us to think that way and to believe that way and to see that way, Lord God. We want to see with your eyes. We want to feel with your heart, Lord God, and we want to love with your love. This morning, change us, transform us, Lord God. Let leadership no longer be a negative thing, Lord God, that stirs up and invokes inside of us some kind of emotion that comes against it or rebels, Lord God, or dishonors, Lord. Let it always be a joy. Let it always be something that we praise you for and thank you for, that we would be able to fully enjoy the gift that you've given us. Have your way over this service. Have your way over the words, Lord God. Minister to your people. Lead us as we follow you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. In the world, in school, at work, in sports, leaders are stereotyped as the most capable and experienced and gifted. It's the cream of the crop. Those are the best ones that are out there, and that's why they're leaders. In business, in education, in sports, that's the truth, and that's the reality, and that's what we see, right? Watch a little bit of the, of the basketball game on, on Friday night, and if you look at the Cavs, their leader is LeBron James. But this dude named Dante something on the bench got a technical foul, and everybody's looking at him like, dude, who are you? You're on the bench. You haven't even seen the court. Why are you even talking to Kevin Durant? Why are the referees looking at you? You're not a leader. You're on the bench. Stay on the bench where you belong. That's the world that we live in. Those are the places that we work in. Those are the schools that our kids go to. Those are the colleges that our kids go to. It's all about the leaders. And the bench players need to sit somewhere and be quiet. That is not the case in the church. It's not about the top tier. It's not about the most capable. It's not about the most qualified. It's not about the most skilled or the most mature. That's not how it often works in the church. The true stereotype of a Christian leader needs to be reclaimed, right? We need to really understand what it is so we don't feel like many of you felt a few minutes ago and we don't think like many of us have thought over the years about leadership. Here's the definition of a leader. There's four of them. Number one, the person who leads or commands a group, organization, or a country. So that's typical to most of us. That's the definition we know. Who's the leader? Who's the head? Who's setting the trend? Who's setting the pace? Who do we need to ask if we want to do something? Number two, the principal player in a music group. I like this one. The principal player in a music group, it says that they would be considered the leader. The thing I like about this one is that in a musical group, there's a bunch of different instruments and there's a bunch of uniquely gifted and talented people who in their own right are special, but they still need a leader to put them on pace, to tell them to way to go. There's scriptures that say, listen, if there is not a sheet of music, if there is not a, a, uh, a direction or somebody orchestrating the music that's going to be played, you can take the most beautiful, gifted singers and musicians and put them all together and it'll sound terrible. 
because somebody has to lead. I don't know much about music, but I remember coming in here and I tell, tell the worship team, you know, Mary's going to sing and Sarah's going to sing and Devin's going to sing and RJ or Raymond was going to drum. But I'd look at Isaiah and I'd say, bro, you've got the guitar. Lead. Stop thinking about what he's doing. Stop thinking about what they're singing. Everybody's going to go off of you. If you play fast, we'll sing fast. If you play slow, we'll sing slow. So the scripture here or the definition here says that that would make him a leader. It doesn't take away from the other people who are around who are uniquely gifted. What it means is God has placed leaders there for a reason. I think sometimes in the church and sometimes in our life, we take somebody that God has placed in a position of leadership and we somehow discount or, or we feel neglected as if we are not uniquely gifted around that person. Third one, definition of a leader, a leading article or editorial in a newspaper. So everybody wants to know what's on the front page, right? That's the leading article. Somehow it's supposed to be the biggest story and the best story. But the reality is, right, for those people, if you ever seen somebody, it, people still do this. I know that it's, it's foreign to many of us, but go to a coffee shop. You know people still read newspapers? And you know what's funny about the people who read newspapers? You rarely see them reading the front page. They're like flipping through the actual pages. They're following whatever story started in one place and they go to that page that the rest of that story is on. You know why? Because even though it's the leading story, it doesn't make it more valuable than the rest of the things that are written. We have such a limited view of leadership that it hinders us from being led and leading in our own right. My favorite of all the definitions is number four here. Of a, of a leader, it says, a short strip of non-functioning material at each end of a reel of film or recording tape for connection to the spool. So imagine those of us that, that used to listen to, to tapes, you remember tape decks? And you put a pencil in and you rewind it when, it when it all came out. Some people had eight tracks before that, right? Or like an old school movie reel. Right? It's saying what a leader is, is that first piece, if you remember having, having your tapes, if you rolled it all the way out, remember that part that was white? There was nothing on there. It was like a little white part to start. It says the same thing about a movie clip, that the first couple of frames, there's nothing on it. They're just blank. But they're necessary to connect to the actual source. If you don't have those first couple strips, right? somebody to lead the rest of the strips in, they won't be connected to the reel, they'll never get to the light, and nobody will ever see the glory of the film and the glory and the power of the light that's shining through them. It says it's non-functioning. There's nothing special about it, but we think the leaders are the special ones. Leaders are necessary, but they're not always the most special. That's right. Amen. They connect those that need to get to the light to the light. They're used as non-functioning glue or tape or connection for others to get to the source. Man, I wish we could see leadership for what it really is and get our egos and our pride out of the way. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. God does not choose the super people to lead. He uses the foolish, the weak, the base, right? 
Sadly, the church rarely sees or understands what God is doing. We're so trapped and so wrapped up in the world and the way that things work in the world that we come into the church and we still miss it. God uses average and below average and weak and base and unqualified people to do the most extraordinary things that are being done on the planet. But somebody gets a title, somebody's called a leader, and we hate. We hate. And it's wrong. We should see it for what it is. We should see it as God has taken this person that otherwise could not do anything of value, and they've made them worthy, they've made them valuable, and I'm watching a miracle every single day. Amen. But we hate. Romans 4.17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. We serve the God that says, this person is dead, but I'm going to give them life. This person hasn't accomplished anything, but I'm going to speak to them as if they've accomplished everything. That's the God that we serve. What I believe God does is he usually humbles a leader to a point of such brokenness and deadness that they feel they have nothing to offer God. Then he comes and prophetically speaks into our lives through typically a man of God or a woman of God will come to you and say, you can do something. You can go somewhere. You can lead something. I see God doing this in your life. Nicholas asked the young people, which one of you feel like maybe you have a call to go overseas to be missionaries? Nairi stood up, Kayla stood up, and Janae stood up, right? Janessa. Janessa stood up, right? So we can all say whatever we want to say, but somebody is speaking into their lives things that do not exist as though they will exist one day. And you could say that's just blowing smoke, but this is a man who was born in Ghana, Africa, had never left the country, and somebody spoke into his life, you were going to speak to the nations. His mom, I was talking to Nicholas, he said his mom had a neighbor come to her and tell her when he was like five years old, your son is not meant to stay in Ghana. He's going to see the world. Another time she woke up in, in a dream and had a vision that the Lord said to her, your son is going to travel the world and he's going to bring you with him. Just last year, his mother left uh, Ghana for the first time in her whole life. She got on a plane for the first time in her whole life to go and stay with Nicholas and Evelyn for six months in the UK. Imagine being in the, in the slums and jungles of Africa your whole life, but a vision that God gave you 30 years ago, right? Because somebody prophetically spoke to her and God gave her a vision and here she is across the world. And imagine this, imagine never seeing your son in any other context than watching him at home in Ghana, getting saved but going to a local church, right, in Ghana. And then she comes and sees him after all these years. He'd come home and visit and whatnot, but she comes and sees him and he's speaking in some of the largest cathedrals in all of the UK. The Archbishop of Canterbury, who would be like, for the Anglican Church, that's the Pope. You know how the, the Catholics have the Pope? The, the Archbishop of Canterbury is the Pope for the Anglicans, and Nicholas is in, in, is in several groups of, of men of God that speak together and meet together, and his mom comes and sees that. But it can't, but it can't be real, but it can't be real for Kayla. It can't be real for you when somebody comes to you and says, you know what, maybe you should get involved in some of the outreaches here. Maybe you might want to maybe help the cleaning crew a little bit. Hey, you know what, I think you have a gift with kids. Maybe you might want to lead some of the, the children's church here. No, you just want to use me for something. And then, so not only does a person think that they just want to be used, but then the people that watch that person take on ministries, they hate. 
It's crazy what God is trying to do and then what, how we circumvent that. And how we deny it and how we choke off the gift of God and how people throw ministry down when it's a blessing to be given to you and then live like they're worldly but they come in and out of the church. The word of God, the gift of God, the ministry of God, the leadership that God calls each and every one of us to have should be the greatest glory of our lives. We should lift each other up. We should be honoring each other. We should be praising God like, how do you do this, Lord? I remember I used to tell you guys all the time, when it was Obama, I felt this way, and I definitely feel this way now. When it's Trump, I feel like my job is more important than their job. I feel like my call is more important than their call. I feel like the honor on my life is more important than their honor. And it's not because I'm special. It's because I know who called me and what they've called me to do. You can lead the country for four years, or you can lead people into eternity. Another thing we need to do is we should be praying for leaders. I watched all those people stand up, and I ain't going to just speak this over you guys because I'm trying to hate on you, but here's the reality. Most of you haven't prayed for them. Most of you haven't stopped your day and said, Lord, I see what you're doing in Carmelo's life, and I know that you're going to be challenging him. You're going to be challenging him for his marriage and for his kids and for what he does in this church, and I just want to come against the enemy and stand in the gap on his behalf. We ain't doing that. What we're typically doing is, man, they just got here. How he get leadership? <laughs> I've been here for decades. <laughs> Matthew 26, 31 says, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. We should pray for leaders. We know that they're going to be under attack. I believe everybody's in the game. But there's some people who are on the bench, just like the LeBron and the Cavs and Dante, whatever his name was, right? <laughs> Nobody cared about Dante on the bench. You know why? Because he really wasn't in the game and he was having no impact. What Dante should be doing is, hey, LeBron, you need some water? <laughs> hey, bro, you want my seat? I know you're tired. Come on, sit down. Let me fan you. In the kingdom, it's very similar. It doesn't mean that you have no value. It doesn't mean that you're not important. What it means is some people are not under attack because they're not doing anything. And some people are under attack because they're doing something. And the least we can do is be aware of that and be praying for those people. Jesus said that the enemy says he'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That, that, what that means is this. If Jesus gets, gets struck, the disciples and the apostles are scattered. God will use it for good, but there's a scattering and there's a loneliness and there's a nakedness that begins to take place. It's the same thing in your church and in your life. If one of your shepherds gets struck, you will be scattered and you will be alone and naked and without a leader. So Jesus is saying we need to pray for those people that that doesn't happen. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those who rule over you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive. They watch out for your souls. They have to give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Leaders are a blessing in our life. I like being led. I like having leaders. I like having men who, who come into my life and speak into my life, hold me accountable, uh, convict me, make me see things the way that I should see them. God's put those people in my life, men and women into my life, to help me. It's not profitable for me to deny them or to wish bad upon them. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul says, Brethren, pray for us. Many people say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I can't pray for more than three minutes. Think about some people who God has called to be leaders and pray for them for a few minutes. 
the stereotype of leaders and leadership, I think, is so bad, so negative, so hurtful, so self-destructive. <clears throat> so here's the things that I want you to take home this morning about leadership. Number one, growing through ministry and leadership is stereotypical of Christians. Growing through ministry, growing through leadership is and should be stereotypical of Christians. That should be what we expect to happen. When somebody takes on leadership, when somebody comes into ministry, we should not expect them to have arrived. We should expect them to be in process. When you look at somebody who God has called to, to maybe lead you, don't expect them to be perfect. Just understand that they are in process and God has placed them there for a reason. No matter who we are in our jobs or in our careers or in our lives, God says that from the time of conception, you're a parent. Nobody's a good parent at that point. Most of us screw up at least two or three kids before we get it right. But God doesn't say, wait till they get it right and then they can be a parent and you can be a child. No, what God says is, this is your parent. You are their child. This is the line of authority. Whether it's good, bad, or ugly, this is what I have established, and I can do anything I want to do through this relationship that I've established. If we saw ministry that way, if we saw leadership that way, man, we would be so blessed. We talk about it all the time with our marriages when the, when the married couples get together. One of the things that we talk about very often is that God would rather have a woman be submissive and be led than be right and try to lead. God can do something with a woman that says, Lord, I know that this is the way that we should go, but I know before that, you told me that this is the man that I should follow. God can do a lot more with that couple than a woman that says, Lord, I know this is the way that we should go, so I'm going to lead for a while. Do you know it's the same thing when it comes to ministry and leadership? Lord, I know that I probably know better than this person, but if that's the person you put in leadership, let me support them and help them and go wherever you tell them we should go. That's the truth. That's the reality. You might not like it, but you know what that is? Your negative, stinking thinking and your old school stereotypes and your way that used to work in the world, but it will never work in the kingdom. You'll be stunted and you'll never go where God wants you to go if you continue to think that way. Gideon said, my father's house is the weakest of all the houses and I'm the weakest in my father's house. And God says, I'm gonna use you to bring the people out of idolatry and back into worship of me. How many people were you, do you think were in that community and said, I definitely ain't following Gideon? Of all the people you could call God, I know you haven't called him, but God called him, and God wanted him to be the leader. How many people were unwilling to follow, unwilling to be led, hated on Gideon, and didn't get the destiny that God had planned for them had they just listened and submitted? How many people could have been a help to Gideon instead of a hindrance? How many people you'll never know their name because the Bible talks about Gideon and they don't talk about what's his name and what's her face. <laughs> Moses, talk about developing through ministry, developing through uh, leadership. Moses spent 40 years in the school of Egypt, the best school on the planet, the most advanced culture uh, known to man at the time. He spent 40 years being raised as a prince. The best of the knowledge, the best of education that you could ever get, he got that for 40 years. Then he spent 40 years in the desert as a shepherd learning how to take care of animals. Talk about the humbling process of a leader. Being taken from the top of the top to the bottom of the bottom in the back uh, of a mountain somewhere, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. 
Imagine serving Pharaoh, and not even really serving Pharaoh, but being a prince like a son of Pharaoh. Now you, you've married this woman, and you're in the back of a, of a mountain somewhere, and her daddy tells you what to do with his sheep. But we think leadership is something else. We look at leaders like, like we look at them. After all that, God says, okay, now you're ready. Lead my people out of, out of slavery and out of bondage into the promised land. What should be stereotypical of Christian leaders is that we know it's going to be a process. What should be stereotypical of those that follow these leaders is that we should know that they are in process. We're not following these perfect people. We're following people that are either uh, somewhere in Egypt like Moses was or somewhere on the back of a mountain that God is preparing to take people into the promised land. That's who you're following if you have leaders. I meet with our youth leader, Gary, all the time. And we wrestle and we fight and we look at messages and we talk about what he's going to be sharing with the youth. And in the beginning, I mean, it was every day. I, I'm just not ready for that. And I just can't do that. And I just, I just don't know it like you know it. And I just can't preach it like you preach it. We're different people. Gary, in the beginning, was like, I'm not going to get up there and yell at people like you yell at people. <laughs> and, I, and I'd yell at him. like, I'm not trying to tell you to yell at people like I yell at people. But he has this heart for our youth and for these kids, and I know that God wants to use that, and God is using that. But, here, but here's the reality. Here's the reality is that if you as parents of youth think that you're going to have some seasoned pastor pastoring your, your teenagers that's been ministering for 30 years, you're going to end up missing the blessing of the man that God has sent here to do that. And if he waits... And if he waits until he's 50 years old and has learned everything that the Bible has to say, he will have missed the opportunity to minister to those youth and to be used by God. But we just see him as, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Mary's cousin's husband. And, you know, he's tight with pastors. So that's why he'd be up there talking about announcements. <laughs> I'm just keeping it too real this morning. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. But walk in the shoes. Listen to the prayers. Listen to the things we talk about and the things that we wrestle with. Watch the discipleship process. Genesis chapter uh, 37, verse 5, says, Now Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I've dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Here's what you know about Joseph. 
Joseph is a visionary, and he had dreams that could be easily misconstrued as pride and arrogant. He's a visionary. He's seeing things from God. He's hearing things from God. But when he talks to people about it, they see him as prideful and arrogant. Those of us that know the story know that he was anything but prideful and arrogant. He ends up being number two in all of the world, only behind Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, when he speaks, I'm speaking. And later on, what they misconstrued as, as evil and prideful and arrogant, right? Later on, he actually was in that position where they had to come and bow down before him. And you know what he said? He didn't even make them bow down. He embraced them and loved them and fed them and actually gave them life. They were going to die without him later on in life. I wonder how many people God has sent to try to lead us, and we did what his brothers did to Joseph. You're prideful. You're arrogant. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to try to, who are you to, try to uh, tell me which way I should go and how I should behave and what I should do and what I should give and where I should go and where I shouldn't go? Who are you? Wouldn't it be simple if God would just always show us the end of the story? Oh, yeah, if you follow this person, here's what's going to happen to you. But guess what? That ain't never going to happen. Never, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever is that going to happen. Joseph didn't ask for a coat of many colors. And Joseph didn't ask for a dream where he would be the authority. Those are things that God gave him and his earthly father gave him. He didn't ask for that. And if you can track back in the lives of leaders far enough you'll find out that they didn't ask for the positions that they have. That's right. Friday night when we went to, to do this dedication afterwards, uh, my friend's brother-in-law came to me and talked to me and said, hey, when, when did you get the call to pastor? So I'm thinking now, we've been pastoring over nine years, all these things have happened. And I told him, I didn't ever want to be a pastor. I plan to serve in my church for the rest of my life, to help my pastor for the rest of my life. I was just happy to be saved and happy to be able to serve, right? I told him, the only thing that happened is we started a home Bible study, which, which my friend began to come to, and we fell in love with telling people about Jesus. I said, that's all that happened. There was no, like, the, the skies didn't split, lightning didn't strike, God didn't come down and say, Vaughn, you shall be. But you know what's funny? When people come into a church now, even a church like ours, they, I know it because it's just life, and it's just the way that we're built. Oh, that dude wants authority. Oh, that dude wants to tell people what to do. Who does he think he is? Joseph didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for it. Ask the people who are in leadership and the things that they're doing right now. They were asked to do <laughs> what they're doing. It was easier just to come to church without having to be an hour early to set up, without having to worry about everybody's kids, without having to prepare messages for teenagers that ain't your teenagers, without having to clean the church for people who don't even realize that it's been cleaned. I think it's funny. In our homes, let us go to the restroom and there ain't no toilet paper, right? We're yelling at somebody. Nate, bring me some toilet paper! <laughs> Not one of you has gone to this restroom in this church in the, however long you've been here and there ain't been no toilet paper, but we ain't praying for the cleaning crew. Not one of us has come in and there's been something on your chair, something spilled underneath your chair, some coffee that wasn't there for you. 
but we ain't thinking about the people who are here on Saturday mornings and we ain't trying to help them and we ain't praying for them. When they get up to leave every Saturday morning and their family and their husbands and their wives are looking like, where are you this Saturday morning? When you're at home eating breakfast with yours and they're here cleaning, we ain't thinking about them. They just want to stand up every once in a while when pastor says, who are the leaders in the church? Man, we got it twisted. Number two, the, the unorthodox placement of leadership is stereotypical of Christians. The first one, growing through ministry, growing through leadership, that's the stereotypical experience for those who uh, are called into ministry and leadership. You grow through it and grow in it. Number two, there's an unorthodox placement of leaders that's stereotypical of God's church. Joseph was number 11 of 12 brothers. Jacob was the second born, not the first born who was supposed to have the blessing. Jacob was second born, and God said, I'm going to have you carry on the blessing that I placed on Abraham and Isaac. It's going to go to you. That's unorthodox. It's not the first born. It's the second. Jesus was the high priest, and he was born from the tribe of Judah when the priestly line uh, is the tribe of Levi. God has this thing that he does where he positions and places leaders in unorthodox positions. It's not where you would think that they would come from, and it's not the position that you would think that they have. Why are they there? Ephesians 4.11 says, God himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Leaders are placed, no matter what their title is or what they lead, it's for the equipping of the saints in order to do ministry, and it's for the edification of the body. It's so that you can grow. There's not a leader here that is not focused on you as an individual being able to grow. There's not an evangelist or a pastor, a teacher, a prophet, an apostle that God has not called to equip the saints to be able to go out and live a godly life and to minister to other people. Some leaders are placed there. And we forget that God can do anything from any position. God can lead from the top, and God can lead from the bottom. Somebody say amen. Amen. In the world, the people at the top do all of the leading. In the church, God leads from the top, he leads from the bottom, and he leads from everywhere in between. God is not like the world. God is not a business. God is not Apple. God is not Microsoft. God is God. He can lead from anywhere. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13 King Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, he gave command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you're ready at this time to hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony, right? Remember the music? Nebuchadnezzar said, if you're ready to hear that in symphony with all the music and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well then good. But if you do not worship, you'll be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, say if not. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. 
Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind them, cast them into the burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments. They were cast into the burning fiery furnace. The king's command was urgent and it was exceedingly hot. The fire or the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men fell down, bound in the midst of the furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselor, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of this fire? They answered and, and said to the king, True. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. They came from the midst of the fire. The satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together. These are the leaders at the top. They saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. The smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, and that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, any nation, language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. These three men were a conquered people, they were slaves, had no power, no authority, but look at how God takes those who are on the bottom to lead those who are at the top. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, he has all of his governors and men of authority around him, but God is using people at the lowest level to lead. I wish that you and I as Christians understood that it's not always about being at the top, it's not about having a title, you can lead. You are called to leave. God places people in unorthodox positions and he says, lead. Lead from the bottom. Lead from the middle. If you're at the top, praise God, lead from the top. Amen. But there's only a few top spots. There's a whole lot of middle spots and a whole lot of bottom spots. And if you're in one of those spots, it's not by accident and it's not so that you can sit on the bench. You've got to lead. Amen. Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel and bring glad tidings of good things. God needs men and women who will bring good news to their homes, good news to their marriages, good news to their workplaces, good news to their kids' sports teams. Bring the good news, be a leader. Use your voice for God. Stop waiting till you get to the top spot. Stop waiting for a title. Understand that God has people everywhere and he's calling you to lead. Lead your brothers and sisters. Lead your friends. In my home, praise God, I'm the head of our house. I'm the leader that has the top spot. God called me to be a man of God. He called me to be a husband of God, a father of God, and to lead my family. And that's the role that, that I play. 
However, Mary has learned to lead in our home and lead even me from a position of submission. She doesn't have the top spot. She's not the head of the household. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't called her to lead in certain areas of our lives. She's not manipulative. She's just aware and wise of the gifts that God has given her. I'm the head, I'm the lead, but there's plenty of times where I go where she's encouraged me to go, where she's led me to go, where she's prayed for me to go. And imagine if she just said, I'm not the head, so I'm going to behave as the tail. I'm not the head, so I'm not going to do anything. No, lead from wherever you are. Lead from wherever you are. Friday night at that house, I sat in the front, everybody was all around, the couple was right here, and I spoke all these things for 20 minutes, and the Spirit said to me, you know, ask Mary if God's saying anything to her that she would want to share. And in front of all these people, she thought about it for a second, and she looked at the wife, the mother of this child, and she said, you know what, I just feel like God wants you to have his peace, and you won't find peace in yourself, you have to be with peace. Jesus is our peace. She said, as a mother, your life is going to be crazy. You have three children. Look at all your family who are here. What you need to do is be with the Prince of Peace, and you will have peace. Your life is always going to be crazy, but if you have the Prince of Peace in you and with you, you'll be okay. And I watched my wife, after I'm in the front with the title and the Bible and the position and doing the prayers, but I watched my wife lead from another position. How many of you, how many of you are positioned in some area of your life, you're not at the front, but you're there, you're on the side, you're on the bottom, you're on the bench somewhere. God is saying, I didn't put you there to be a, a watcher, I put you there to look for your opportunity to be a leader from that position. Amen. Last one. Self-leadership should be stereotypical of Christians. God grows us and builds us through ministry and through leadership. God has unorthodoxly positioned all of us in different places to be leaders. And the last one, self-leadership should be stereotypical. One of the things that I'm so interested in about the church is how we rebel against leadership. We undervalue leadership. Yet in so many areas of our life, we're waiting for somebody to come in and lead us to behave better. <laughs> lead us into victory. We hate on leaders. We don't listen to leaders. They advise us and we deny whatever the advice is. Yet in so many areas of our individual lives, we sit there saying, I wish somebody would help me through this. I wish somebody would lead me in this area. That'll never work. If you won't listen and engage leaders, but then you wait for leaders in certain areas of your life, all we end up with is defeat. There's things that God will not do for you and he will not bring somebody to help you because he already knows that you can do it on your own. If there's something that you know you should be doing and there's something that you know how to do and you're not doing it, God is not going to do it for you and God is not going to send somebody to do it for you. That's going to remain exactly how it is until you do something, until you have some self-leadership. God ain't going to come and have somebody sit in your room with you and read the Bible to you. Read it. God ain't going to come and have somebody be a puppet with your mouth to pray. Pray! God is not going to come and get you to stop doing things and going places that you shouldn't be going and things that you shouldn't be doing. You have to lead yourself to stop doing some of those things. 
I believe that confession and asking for help and accountability are good things, asking for encouragement, but it's not the same thing as being ignorant and not knowing what you should do. If you come to somebody and say, hey, this is what I'm involved in, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I'm challenged with, can you help me? Will you stand with me? Will you go with me? Will you hold me accountable? Yes, let's do that together. Praise God, there's strength in numbers. The other side of that is, if you know some things are wrong and you just act as if they're not and you're waiting, I sure wish that that person would come help me. You'll be standing there forever. Amen. Nicholas and I were talking this last week. He went to a service on deliverance. And the minister got up and, and ministered on deliverance. Uh, the concept that, that him and I were talking about was self-salvation and self-deliverance. And he said that the, the, the minister got up there, talked about deliverance, preached from the scriptures on deliverance, and then instead of calling people to the front, said, if this is ministering to you, stand up. They'd stand up. The, the minister said, repeat this prayer after me. They'd repeat the prayer, and then God would begin to move in their lives. And then they'd sit back down, and then he'd, uh, they'd minister on something else. And on, on deliverance, if this part is ministering to you, stand up. They'd stand up, repeat this prayer, and God would begin to move in their lives. And I told him when we were talking, I said, that sounds like self-deliverance. You don't have to come up to the front. You don't have to have hands laid on you. All you have to do is say, I understand the word that was preached. I receive it for myself, and I hope that God will begin to move inside of me. That's called self-deliverance. If you understand the word, if you receive it for yourself, and then you stand on God to bring forth some fruit, that's you applying yourself to the things of God. If you think that somebody has to always lay hands on you and somebody has to pray a special prayer and they have to stand a special way and they have to wear a certain thing, well, then nothing is going to happen in your life. We're always waiting for that. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Stir up is not the same as wait to be led. It's self-leadership. God says, stir it up. You don't love somebody. You don't come in here with love. Then get out of your seat during meet and greet and go hug somebody. You come in here depressed. Don't wait to be undepressed. Sing. Amen. Lift your voice to Jesus. He's alive and real. Stir it up. Amen. It says stir up love and good works. Don't wait for something to happen to you. Stir it up. You have to do that work. You can have all the ingredients and nothing will happen. I'm not a chef. Even if I make instant pancakes, I gotta add water. I think I gotta throw an egg or two in there. But you know what I have to do after that? I gotta stir it up. If I don't stir it up and I put that into a pot and try to fry it up, nobody's eating them pancakes. You already have all the ingredients. You know who Jesus is. You come into a church, there's worship going on, the word is coming forth, but you have to stir it up or nothing's gonna happen to you. Judges 22 20, says, the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves again and formed the battle line. They're about to go to war, and they encouraged themselves and got back into their battle lines. You have to encourage yourself sometimes. You know what a lot of us are, are waiting for before we go into battle? I love movies. You guys know I love movies. I think some of the best battle speeches are from Braveheart and from uh, Gladiator. I watched that. I watched Gladiator, and I'm like, there ain't even a battle. I'm about to fight somebody. I'm going to go out into the, go out into the street like... Are you not entertained? My neighbor's looking at me crazy. But you know what happens a lot of times in our Christianity? We're waiting for somebody to give us a motivational speech. And God says, encourage yourself. Wake up in the morning. Encourage yourself. Remember the scriptures. Remember the, the victories that you've already won. Remember the things that God has done and encourage yourself. You ain't going to get a call every morning. 
Carmelo. This is Pastor Vaughn. It's 4.50 in the morning. It's time to go to work. You know there's other cars out there. They're going to cut you off. But don't let them stop you, Carmelo. You know Inez might have a bad day and say something crazy. Don't let it get you too upset, Carmelo. It's time to be men of God. That ain't going to happen every day. It's not going to happen to the rest of you. It does not happen to me. We have to encourage ourselves sometimes. I wish that I could just pay a service to motivate me every day. It don't work that way. Self-leadership is necessary. Somebody say amen. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him. Their soul of the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. There's going to be times where there's nobody there to strengthen you, when everybody has turned on you, when all the people you used to go, now they hate you and they want to stone you. What do you do then? Especially if you're not used to talking to God on your own. You better learn how to strengthen yourself. Lead yourself back to the truths that God has revealed to you. In my life, I've loved sports. We had our, our kids' uh, basketball party this Saturday at the house, and it just reminded me that I love playing on teams. I played basketball, I played football, I played a bunch of other things. But, you know, when you're on a team, when I was in college, we had, we had 5.30 a.m. weightlifting. And for college students, that's not, that's not cool. But you know, it was always fun because you're going to go to the gym with 60 other guys. You're going to be talking trash. You're going to be loud music on. Nobody else is on, on campus. And we're lifting weights. And, it's, and it was easy. Many of, us, many of us have experienced that. Like, you go join the, the latest boot camp. That's easy because there's a bunch of other people that are getting up together and going into that place. You go get a part of a CrossFit. CrossFit is just a bunch of people yelling at each other, you can do it. But it's easier when there's that, that group around you. How many of us have realized how hard it is to go to the gym by yourself? I pack the bag in the morning. I say I'm going. I've got the three-year memberships. So I don't have no excuse. And I'm like, man, I ain't going. Nobody's going <laughs> to. Nobody's looking. Nobody's taking my pulse. Nobody's screaming at me. You can do it. Nobody's uh, checking my progress. It's hard when you have to go for yourself just so that you can grow and just so that you can be healthy. You know, it's the exact same thing in the church. When somebody's motivating you, when there's a whole group of people there, when everybody's there at the same time for the same reason, it's a lot easier. But in this particular circumstance, like David, you and I will find ourselves there inevitably, and we have to have self-leadership. We have to be able to strengthen ourselves regardless of who shows up and who doesn't show up. I'm going to close with this last scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Hopefully it'll tie everything together for us. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience is fulfilled. Or excuse me, when your obedience is fulfilled. Bringing your thoughts into captivity, casting down arguments to Christ, nobody can do that for you. That takes self-leadership. You have to take your thoughts and say, no, 
I'm not going to allow you to run me today. I'm not going to allow you to frustrate me and aggravate me. I got angry or frustrated with Mary yesterday. It wasn't anything to do with our date night. She didn't beat me on the go-karts. I won. <laughs> but something happened later, and I was frustrated. I was mad, and then even this morning, like, I was still a little bit frustrated, and all the way up until service, and I was trying to be the, the good husband and the good pastor. I was like, I ain't really going to show her that I'm mad, but I'm going to try to show her. So, like, we left in separate cars this morning. So, you know, she hugged me, we kissed, and then she got ready to leave. She's like, bye, babe. And I didn't even turn. Bye. <laughs> Just a little bit. I wanted her to know a little bit I was upset. Because inside, I'm wrestling with it. Like, you got to bring that into captivity. Don't, don't let it ruin the day. Don't let, it, don't let it destroy like it's destroyed in the past. And I didn't, I didn't really, you know, let her have it like I might have in the past. And in this morning, when she came upstairs, right, like I told you guys before service, and she's crying, and, and God is all over her, and she needs God, and she sat with me, and I hugged her. I was thinking to myself, man, if I had to let that thought from last night do what it wanted to do, I wouldn't have this moment with her. She would be broken and hurting and she would not have a husband and a covering to come to for peace and for encouragement. But there wasn't going to be a phone call from somebody in the middle of the night, like I said with Carmelo, Bond, don't go off on her. Now's the moment to be strong. Bring that thought into captivity. No, I got to do that myself. I got to do that myself. And then when you see the blessing associated with it, right? It's not like I got blessed or the situation changed. What it is is I realized that that was just the enemy trying to attack to keep us from a, a future blessing that was going to happen. It says that when you've done that, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled, that's what it means to be a leader. You've gone somewhere yourself, and now you can tell other people how to get there. When I tell other men, hey, you're going to be upset, but don't say what you want to say. Don't behave how you want to behave. Don't act like you want to act. Bring that thought into captivity. Put it under submission unto Christ. They can look at me crazy if they want to, but I've been there, and I know it works. What I want to see in my life is the Spirit of God ahead of me speaking to me for myself and for others. That's what my prayer is. That's what I want. That's what I feel like I need from God. But that ain't going to fall out of the sky into my lap, right? No matter how much I want it, I've got to do something. This morning, after Mary left, and I got in my truck to come to work, or excuse me, to church, it ain't work. I felt God telling me, pray for, pray for your wife and pray for your travels. I used to do it all the time when I first got saved. But for whatever reason, God said, just pray for, pray for getting to church this morning. So I said, all right, Lord, just take care of me. Take care of her. You know, she's got all the kids. I'm, I'm in the truck. starting to rain a little bit. Just, just get us there safely. A few minutes later, I'm on the 57 freeway, and a car looked like its tire had blown out, and they, they skidded all the way across the freeway onto the side of the road. And I thought to myself, that's interesting, Lord. You know, that's interesting that you would kind of show me that. You know, Lord, let me pray for everybody that's on the road. A couple minutes later, I get past the 57 and the 60. We take the Brea Canyon exit, which is, which is kind of windy. There's always a cross there if you've ever been down that road because people have died. A lot of people have died on, on Brea Canyon. So I'm getting off the freeway, and God tells me again, pray for your wife. And I'm thinking, man, she's got all the kids, and she's got the R. Kellyan kids from date night. You know, they stayed at my house with, with my mom last night. I said, Lord, just, just watch over. She's literally only a couple minutes before me. I, I think I might actually catch up to her and see her. So as soon as I prayed that, I'm coming through the canyon. I pull up on, a, on an accident that happened within five seconds before me getting there. 
this guy had flown off the side of the road and hit the embankment. His car exploded. There's cars everywhere. His, you could still see the, the airbag in his face when I pull up and one leg is out the door. I'm thinking, man, is this dude dead? And I'm thinking, man, my, my wife and the kids could only be two or three minutes ahead of her, ahead of this person, and I'm just behind this person. I'm the first person to talk to him. I pull up, are you okay, are you okay? He's like, yeah, he's out of it. Right? He's like, can you help me? Can you call the police? I get on the phone, I call 911. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I want not only to be there to help people, all that kind of stuff, but I want you to speak to me in advance. You were telling me this morning to pray for my wife's travels. And you were telling me to pray for other people who were on these roads. And I wonder if I would do what I'm supposed to do, how much more you would tell me. But here's the thing, how much further in advance you would tell me. You know what's crazy when, when you're in a position like my position or, or you feel like God is speaking to you? I'm tired of showing up when there's already death and destruction. Yeah. I want to show up in advance and be able to tell you guys, listen, don't go down that road. But I want people to understand what a leader is from God in their life where they might say, okay. Amen. Right? This morning, those people that stood up in this church, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, God has ordained them and called them to be in your life and in the lives of our children in a way to be able to say, don't go down that road. But what thoughts came to your heart when they stood up? What thoughts came to your mind when they stood up? What thoughts come into your spirit when you hear the titles that they have? And are we seeing God? Are we seeing in the spirit? How many of us at some point in our walk have thrown ministry down because it was too much time? It was too much effort. It was too much accountability. Discipleship, Christianity, leadership. This is the church. This is who God is and what he does, what he's blessed us with. <clears throat> I'm going to close. Isaiah, could you come? The end of this scripture, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this in verse 12. He's talking about himself now. First, he focuses on you and bringing these thoughts into captivity and all the things that you have to do as an individual. And then he gets on to the leaders. He says, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. They measuring themselves by themselves and they comparing themselves amongst themselves. They are not wise. If we just look at each other and say, I'm a good leader and, and it's because... I'm comparing myself to this young man, and we're not looking to God, and we're not looking beyond the four walls of our church. He says that's unwise. Paul says, but we, however, we will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of our sphere that God has appointed to us, a sphere which especially includes you. We are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is boasting in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends.
A leader's sphere of influence is enlarged when your sphere of influence is enlarged. When you get saved, when you get ministered and you begin to minister to other people, everybody is growing. Who we can minister to, who you can minister to. Time after time I hear of brothers and sisters having their friends and family come in, aunts and uncles coming into this place, co-workers coming into this place, and then you watch as they begin to get ministered to and they begin to call other people. That makes you leaders who are going out and telling those people which way to go and how to get there. And it makes the influence that some of your leaders here have, it makes that grow. And then he says, we don't boast just because of that. It's all God's glory. We plant and you plant. We water and you water, but God gives the increase. And we should be rejoicing. When we hear leadership, we should be like, let me tell you what real leadership is. When we go to work and people lead us in meetings and different things, we should be coming to them afterwards and talking about, let me tell you about leadership in my church. Let me tell you some things that might help you and how you lead us. It's a glorious miracle that God would use these people. Those leaders that stood up earlier, could you guys stand up again? The ones that I called out. Can any of us see them in any different light this morning? When they stood up earlier, are any of those feelings that shouldn't have been there, are they gone or moving this morning? Are any of us willing to look around and say, you know what, God? Because I know it's you, I'll follow those people. See, if if it's just words on a page and a message that's preached, but there's no action, there's nothing you're willing to do, what good is it? Junior leads evangelism in this church. We could say, Lord, there's greater evangelists. There's the Greg Lorries of the world. There's the Billy Grahams of the world. There's people who have skills and training and ability, but God didn't send you there. God sent you here. If you want to learn how to talk to people, evangelize, reach people, love people, outreach, that's the one that God says is for you. Will you say he's for me and I'm for him? We just have to come against the lies of the devil, the negative connotations, rejoice that it's a miracle. I was talking to somebody recently about Miss Vanessa. Actually, I was talking to Mary. Nope, I was talking to Nicholas. And I was talking about how when she first came into the church, her and her boys, the relationship that she was in, and I remember how me and Mary just loved her and we were so hopeful for what God was going to do. And I remember being in certain environments where other people couldn't see it. And other people would say things, and we would get angry, and we would be frustrated, and we would be mad. And then when we look up after the years, how God began to remove things from her life. And change things in her life, and raise up her boys to be men of God, young men of God. And I remember now, I was telling him just this week, I said, God was calling things that did not exist as if they did. And how easily she could have been overlooked, how easily she could have been passed by. And now as she ministers to all of our children, any child that comes into this place is covered by and ministered to, ministered to through her and through her gift of God. 
my children who I love dearly, I place in her hands. Here in the church, at her house, at Sky Zone, I don't have to go with them because I trust that they're going to be taken care of. You know why? Because she is not just somebody we've told that you need to do something. She's called by God, gifted by God, becoming who she's supposed to be in God. And the best thing I can do for my children is to not withhold that from them or to think that it's not good enough for them, but to come and submit to God and say, if that's what you say, Lord, not for everybody else's kids, but for mine, take them, take care of them. I believe you're going to teach them. I believe they're going to know God because of you. Man, can you see it this morning? Or is it just a bunch of people in the back of a warehouse? We don't get another earthly life. Either this is the one that God has placed you in, and these are the leaders for the time that God has, uh, has positioned, or it's not. If it's not, you better go find who they are. If it is, you better let God have his way. With you guys still standing, for the rest of you who are sitting in this church, some of you maybe feel like you're in the top in some areas. Some of you feel like you're in the bottom in some areas. And I'm sure that there's many of us who feel like you're in the middle in some area. If you're here right now and after this morning's message, you feel like maybe God is calling you to lead from wherever you're at this morning. Would you raise your hand? As a mother, a father, brother or sister, co-worker, friend, family member, is there anything that God might say, right where you are, I'd like to use you. You don't have to wait for something else. You don't have to wait for a title. You don't have to wait for a position. Amen. If you got your hands up, would you stand too? Just stand right where you are. Just stand. Lastly, if you're standing, it's okay. If you're still sitting, I want you to respond as well if it's you. If you feel like this morning God is calling you to lead yourself in some area, would you raise your hand? You already know what to do. You already know that you're capable of doing it, but you just got to do it. Raise your hand so we can see you. Amen. Stand if your hand is up. Stand. And we're just going to pray. Similarly to the conversation I told you with me and Nicholas, you're going to have some self-deliverance this morning. <laughs> We ain't going to bring you up here. I'm not going to place hands on you. We're not going to play the latest song. We're not going to just, just worship you until you can't move. We're just going to say either it's true or it's not, God. <laughs> either it's real or it's not. Either authority is ordained by you and people are called by you and you've put me here for a reason and the people that you have in place here are capable and called by you to get me where I'm going, to help my children get where they're going, to develop me to go where I need to go, or it's just not. Either I am prepared and equipped and you place something inside of me so that I can accomplish what you've called me to accomplish, I just need to do it, or I'm just going to keep waiting for something to miraculously happen. Lord, I pray for the leaders here in this church that they would not be discouraged that they would not be deterred, that they would not feel as if this is just something they've taken on. It's not something that's just been placed on them by a church or by their pastor, but it is a call from the heavens. The heavens are touching earth. When we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are actually witnessing it in these people. We thank you, God. Encourage them. Help us to pray for them. 
Help us to understand that in many ways and in their sphere, they are shepherds, Lord. Don't let them be struck by the enemy, Lord. Keep them safe. Protect their homes. Protect their children as they minister and flow and give outwardly, Lord. We thank you for them, God. We will not hate. We will not speak negatively, Lord God. We will not have the negative thoughts of the enemy stir up our emotions and cause us to say things we shouldn't say, feel a way that we shouldn't feel. We bring those thoughts into captivity and we say, Lord, that your will be done. Whatever your word is over them, Lord, we receive that this morning. Mm. Lord, for your sons and daughters here in this place that find themselves in all these different positions in their lives, some at the top, some at the bottom, Lord God. In their homes, they may be the authority, but in their workplaces, Lord, they may be the servants and the subordinates, Lord God. In their families, Lord, they may be the voice that everybody listens to, or they may be the voice that's denied and ignored, Lord God. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, Lord, we believe that you've called us to lead from there. That when we do have a chance to speak, when we do have a chance to pray, when we feel something prompted in our spirit, even if it's just praying over somebody's travels, that we'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lord, that we'd have boldness, that we'd have confidence, and we'd say whatever you told us to say. We'd do whatever you told us to do. We'd love whoever you told us to love, that we'd stir it up, Lord God. And finally, Lord, we pray that you would help us to lead ourselves. If you've already told us, if you've already taught us, Lord God, if you've already shown us, if we know that it needs to be done and we haven't been able to do it yet, let that change this morning, God. In our spirit, let us say, Lord, we can lead ourselves in this area. We know we need to stop or we know we need to go. We know we have to pull back and withhold or we know we need to give, Lord. We already know. Help us to lead ourselves. Help us to encourage ourselves. Help us to strengthen ourselves. Help us to stir it up from within, Lord God. And to stop waiting. Stop waiting for it to come from you miraculously, Lord God. Stop waiting for it to fall out of the skies into our lives. Stop waiting for somebody else to call us and do it for us. Let us encourage ourselves this morning. Lord, we need leadership back. The first commandment you gave Adam, Lord, is to have dominion and authority and to lead, to take command, God. That's still your commandment to the rest of us, that we would lead. We take back from the enemy what he's taught us about leadership. We take back from you what you say we should feel when it comes to leadership. We leave everything else behind, God. Help us as we move forward from this place. We develop, we'd grow, and that the sphere of influence would increase. We love you this morning. We thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen.